Listen up, ladies. If you listen to these episodes but wonder how the hell to implement all the stuff I talk about, I am offering you the chance to join the biggest free of charge live training event I have ever offered. In order to heal one part of ourselves, we have to heal the whole self. And from Monday, the 7th of November, the Uncover Your Purpose training will begin, where I'll be offering three 30-minute intensive and interactive online live training sessions to teach you exactly how to alchemize your life. For those who turn up live for all three of the remote trainings and get involved in the challenges I'll set, there will be incredible prizes and incentives. And I'm talking really worth your while. It is completely free no strings attached. You just have to show up and make that commitment to your growth. If you want to find your purpose, get healthy, get happy and start manifesting the hell out of life. Click the link in the show notes and register now. Reality is like the new earth is coming, right? Like we can feel things crumbling. We can feel things being burst. There is both a sexual revolution and a whole societal revolution happening. And the question is like, what flavor do we want that revolution to be? What do we want that revolution to look like? And my choice is let's not revolt at all. Let's not destroy anything. Let's simply hold the vision for what it is that we want to birth and then feel as good as humanly possible. Let's utilize this vast in, in like internal pharmacy that nature has gifted us and then hold that vision while feeling good, which is the secret to manifesting. And let's do it collectively and just simply create the new earth that we would be proud to hand to our children. Welcome back to Reconditioned with me, Lauren Vagnine. And I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode. I would actually go as far as to say that this would be within the top five episodes of Reconditioned for me personally, not just because of the content and you will learn loads about meditation and manifestation and sexual alchemy, but just, I don't know, the energy, the vibe of the episode and how it kind of went down. It was just beautiful. And I'm so grateful to Emily for that. It was just so, so wonderful. So yeah, we speak about in this episode, manifestation, which is how Emily got started in her career here. Well, before that, how she came to that from being a Broadway star. And we had some things in common there, which we speak about right at the end. And then we also speak about how that leads to manifestation. And we talk about what Emily calls sexual alchemy. Now, why I want you to listen to this, regardless of where you're at in your sexual journey, is because the majority of women that come my way are in this place of sexual stagnation, where they don't really know what they like in sex and actually maybe they're even at the point where they don't enjoy sex anymore and sex is not part of their relationship anymore if they're in a relationship it's been lost from the marriage it's just not something that is even a part of their life and Emily speaks about why it is important if we want to manifest a life of joy and bliss and happiness and manifest into our lives all the things we want why it is so important to reclaim this part of ourselves and we go deep into that in this episode so I'm hoping that wherever you are at on your sexual journey whether you are a tantrika or a sex witch and practicing sex magic and sexual alchemy and however you want to call it or whether you are in a sexless relationship believing that you are not a sexual being I would love you to listen to this episode through and through it was just beautiful every part of this episode. Now, don't forget in some housekeeping that the free three-day challenge that I am running is on the 7th of November. So in just a few weeks time, 7th till the 10th of November, I will be running a three free-day training, which will be a challenge where you turn up, 
for just 30 minutes every day and take part in the challenge for a chance to win some huge, huge prizes and be guided in me in this training in how to enhance and up-level all aspects of your life. It is completely free. There are no strings attached. There is no obligation to go on to work with me or do anything with me. It is free. It is for you. So please go to the link uh, in the show notes to register uh, your spot for that. You can feel free to share that with friends as well. This is a free training. It is open to as many women as want to join. It is for women only. So please remember that. And yeah, please make sure to register for that. And hopefully I will see you there. And I can't wait to see you there. And for now, that is all I have to say, because I just want you to listen to this amazing, amazing episode with Emily Fletcher. Once again, thank you so much for being here. Emily Fletcher is the founder of Ziva Meditation, creator of the Ziva Technique and teacher to over 40,000 meditators, myself included. Her best-selling book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, debuted at number seven out of all books on Amazon and has been translated into 12 languages. In 2021, she launched Ziva Kids, the first meditation course of its kind for kids aged four to 14. Ziva graduates include Oscar, Grammy, and Emmy Award winners, Navy SEALs, and NBA players, and Emily's work has been featured by the New York Times, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Vogue, and more. Emily's mission is to give people the tools they need to transmute stress to bliss so they can solve the world's biggest challenges and have a great time doing it. So welcome, Emily. I mean, you know, why not? We could suffer as we solve these challenges or we could have a great time. I vote, let's have a great time. So true. So <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. So, oh my God. So speaking of great time, you just came back from Burning Man. So I, I want to start there. Before okay. we go there, I always start with the same question, which is what have you done so far today to support your wellness? And you just showed me a little mushroom spray. So I'm kind of intrigued yeah. about that. Oh yeah. This is my friend's company, Ali Shemper. It's called Super Mush. And she has an energy and immunity and a chill mix. And um, speaking of Burning Man, I was a Burning Man for 10 days. I went early to help build. And it's, you know, that place is trying to kill you. It's hot. It's cold. It's dusty. You're sleeping with like giant bass speakers next to you. And it's, uh, I should, by day 10, I should have felt awful. By all intents and purposes, by any wellness experts, I should have felt awful. And I didn't. I felt amazing. I felt alive and awake and rested and integrated. and. Uh, I mean, part of that is meditation. Part of that is movement. Part of that is that Burning Man is the greatest hit of joy on planet Earth, even though it doesn't feel like you're on planet Earth. Uh, and creativity and dance and music, like all of my favorite drugs. Um, and But I, I think a lot of that was due to the super much. So thanks, Ali Shemper. Um, yes, and what else have I done today? I meditated. I did my Ziva meditation practice. And then it's so funny that you're asking this because I've been having a bit of a morning. Like my son just started a new school. He's having some big feelings about it. It was pouring, raining. I went to bed too late last night. So I woke up a little bit on the wrong side of the bed, which doesn't happen to me that often. And I, and I locked myself out of the house. I had to pee. You know, it was just like one of those days we were late to school. And I was like, I'm going to meditate and I'm going to work out. But at eight, 9.52, so eight minutes before I was supposed to start this podcast, I still had not worked out, but I did it. I did a seven-minute workout. I changed wow. clothes. I threw on a lip as we were doing our pre-record, and here we are. Here you are, looking <laughs> so perfect. 
So I felt proud of myself because I easily could have skipped the workout this morning, but I just feel so much better. It feels like it lubricates my body when I move my body in the mornings. That's really important, actually, isn't it? Because it's kind of the idea of like the all or nothing. If I can't do all of it, I'm not going to do any of it. But actually doing something is always better than doing nothing. Yeah, honestly, like I am not affiliated with this thing, but the seven minute workout, it's a high intensity interval training app, but you can do it. It's literally seven minutes, no equipment. You could do it in an airport, in a hotel room. Uh, I mean, honestly, you could do it at a subway stop where you're waiting for the train, really, if you didn't care what other people thought. (laughs) But it's, and it's just enough. Like you sweat, you move. And I feel like if I do just that every day, I feel pretty strong. It's like a good maintenance program. It's not going to necessarily move you forward, but it's a good maintenance program for me. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your work, for me anyway, it goes way deeper than, than just meditation. I am, as you know, Ziva alumni. I'm a big fan of Ziva meditation. Um, and also you've been talking recently about something new, which you know we're going to get onto because I'm very excited to start talking about sacred sexuality with you. But you know what? Let's start with Burning Man because I, as a Londoner, have never been to Burning Man, but my husband and I are thinking about coming next year for our 10-year wedding anniversary. <gasps> But I've heard that you kind of like need to know people there. Like it's one of the, and I have wanted to go for years. Okay. So I know you now. So you got one friend, you got one friend friend and I'm a great friend to have a burning man. (laughs) I want to know everything that happened there because you were hosting workshops with Layla Martin and doing all kinds of great stuff. Tell me about burning man. Yeah. So, so I started going to Burning Man in 2013. Next year will be my 10th year, my 10 year wow. anniversary. I mean, I haven't, I've only, this was my fifth burn, but it started going 10 years ago, took a couple years off when I had a kid and then, and then COVID. So it was cool to be back this year because it felt like with two years off, all of the artists just really brought their A game. And even though, you know, most of my friend group goes to Burning Man, but maybe not every year, but because it was off for two years, like all of my friends who burn, like everyone was there. And that was really special in its own way. Yeah. When I first started, I liked the anonymity of it. It felt like a new planet, a new world. I felt like I could be whoever I wanted. And that was cool, but it was, a, it was 10 years ago. And now it feels like it's so integrated into my life, into who I am and into my friends that it's, it's actually everywhere I go, almost I have friends and that's a different a different type of, a different flavor of awesomeness. Absolutely. Um, but it's, uh, you know, that it's intense. Like it's, uh, you're camping in a desert that's trying to kill you. It's not really hospitable to humans. It's really hot and really dry and it's dusty and you're biking everywhere and dancing everywhere. So there's some, you have to be resilient. And I feel like it weeds people out because you, you have to bring your own water, your own food, your own shade structure bikes clothes and it's it's about self-sufficiency right like you have to be able to provide for yourself and then it's also a gifting economy and so it's everything is gifted you know experiences music art food there's there's sushi restaurants there's dine like art cars that turn into diners deep playa in the middle of the night where you have men in blonde wigs serving grilled cheese sandwiches and coffee at two in the morning or like a movie theater in like a time, like it's just a bizarre, bizarre, fascinating, like the height of human creativity that I've ever experienced, and also the height of generosity. People will work for months, sometimes almost a full year on art projects to bring to Burning Man as a gift, as an expression of their creation. And and what I love most about it is that it's it shows you that everything we're living in all of these societal rules that we think are sort of like the truth or the way 
are just a construct. Like at some point, some human made it up somewhere and then people decided to agree to it. And when you uproot yourself and go into what feels like a different planet, a different society with different rules and different dress codes and different timing and different relationships with time and just the way that everything works is different there. And it's a different construct. And you realize, well, if I can change all of these constructs about society for this one week, what have I accepted as fact in the rest of my life that's actually mutable? What else can I change? What else have I assumed to be the way that could use up-leveling? And so when you start to look at the rest of the world through that lens, as it's all mutable, it's all changeable, that everything was invented by someone at some point, including religion, including politics, including fashion, all of it. And so we'll, if someone else made it up, why can't I make up something that's my expression? Or what if I innovate on this to make it more equitable? Or what if I innovate on this to make it more creative? I love that. And I, I, it's, it's funny because we mentioned that we're going to be talking about sacred sexuality. And for me, that happened with that in my life because I don't live my life by convention with any aspect of my life. I very much moved away from the medical paradigm. You know, my kids don't go to doctors. Um, you know, all, everything that we do is kind of very unconventional. And yet I realized within my marriage, it was quite conventional. So like, mm. oh, what can we do here to shake things up a little bit, you know? Yeah. And 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 it kind of go. And, and I also love that, you know, Charles Eisenstein wrote the sacred economics and speaking about that gifting mentality that it, that it used to be, you know, tribes would gift to other mm. tribes. There was no money as we know it today. And that's mm-hmm. how people got by. And I think that's it, I, I can imagine you would come out of Burning Man having a desire to really make change. So mm. it's, not ju- it's not just a festival. Yeah, it's not just a festival. It's actually a, a temporary city. Mm. And this whole, with its own principles baked into it. And um, yeah, I think for me at this point, it feels like a yearly ritual, like a homecoming, like a recharge, like a creative, like I fill my cup up while I might be depleted physically on the other side of it. I feel um, fulfilled spiritually and creatively. And I actually, I had the most profound spiritual awakening of my life on Sunday, on like the temple burn day. And, you know, I've been teaching meditation for 13 years. I'm two weeks out from going to have a seven day audience with the Dalai Lama. And, you know, so I've had some like pretty, a 10 day Vipassana, 18 months of, you know, hundreds of hours of meditation with, um, you know, my teacher training. So I've, I've been in this game for a long time and yet had the most profound spiritual awakening of my life on the last day of Burning Man. So it's, uh, you know, it's different for everyone, but for me, I really love it. Oh, and you mentioned to the events that I did. So I led something um, in this pyramid. So the camp that I was at, one of our offerings, we built a giant pyramid and it could fit like, you know, 700 people inside of it. And so on Tuesday night, I did this event called Sexual Alchemy. And it felt like the first dress rehearsal for this vision that I've been having for this event that I can't stop seeing where I want 80,000 people together in a stadium and practicing these sacred sexuality tools and holding a vision for the species, holding a vision for the planet, and then using their sexual energy to help manifest that dream. And the people that I want to help were all staying in my camp. It was myself and Layla Martin, who's my best friend and the amazing Tantra teacher teacher, Regina Thomashauer, aka Mama Gino, who's my roommate. It was Vailana Marcus, who's a living medicine woman, an amazing singer, and Aubrey Marcus. And so anyway, I just got all of them together and we did this amazing activation. And again, we had people really get clear on not only their dream for themselves, 
but what role they want to play in birthing this new earth. Because the reality is like the new earth is coming, right? Like we can feel things crumbling. We can feel things being birthed. There is both a sexual revolution and a whole societal revolution happening. And the question is like, what flavor do we want that revolution to be? What do we want that revolution to look like? And my choice is let's not revolt at all. Let's not destroy anything. Let's simply hold the vision for what it is that we want to birth and then feel as good as humanly possible. Let's utilize this vast in, in like internal pharmacy that nature has gifted us and then hold that vision while feeling good, which is the secret to manifesting. And let's do it collectively and just simply create the new earth that we would be proud to hand to our children. And so anyway, we got to rehearse that on Tuesday night at Burning Man. And that was really exciting. Um, and then since then, I got to do another activation in Toronto for like a thousand people. And this was more of like a quote unquote muggle audience. You know, it was more of people who were not really interested in the sacred sexuality stuff. They thought it was just going to be a talk on neuroscience. And yet I had them up and dancing and doing breath work. And by the end of it, they were crying and crying tears as if their dreams had just come true. So it feels really exciting to be stepping into these new arenas and, and taking the foundation of meditation, but now supercharging the manifesting practice with the most powerful creative force that we have, which is in fact our pleasure. It is our sexual energy. Where does this passion come from? Have you mm. always been like this? Is it that you found your passion? Like, wait, I know you were a Broadway star and that's how mm. you started off. Were you like, were you this passionate about Broadway or did this come because you've really found something that is your calling? It's uh, a great question. I mean, I've always been pretty energetic and I've always been passionate. And yet there is a deeper fire that comes. There is a clarity and uh, I think a resonance that comes when you know that your gifts are being used to serve what you see to be the greatest need of the time. And uh, this actually is what I would call the conscious design of happiness. How do my gifts best serve the most pressing need of the time? Uh, and, and weirdly, uh, all of this sacred sexuality work for me is actually about planetary regeneration. It's about reversing climate change um, because that's the thing that I think is like the, the the most important. I think it's the most urgent challenge that we're being asked to solve. And I, I don't know how we're going to solve that with our most creative force behind our back. Um, but yeah, I'd say I've always been pretty passionate. But when you sort of like lie, find your dharma, if you will, like the thing that you that feels like I'm being of most service, that definitely pours gasoline on the passion that has always been Emily Fletcher. <laughs> I know a lot of people listening and something I get from the ladies that uh, contact me or the ladies in my course is that it's quite triggering to hear people who are so deeply in their passion because they don't know what their dharma is or their passion. Do you have any tips for women like that who are kind of sitting at home going, I know that I have passion in me and I know that there's a purpose within my life. How do I find it? How do I get to Emily Fletcher levels of passion? <laughs> Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for asking that. And so I'll give you a little, a little backstory. So, well, first of all, as you mentioned, I've taught 40,000 people, the Ziva technique, which is mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. And the number one issue that I hear, the number one complaint that people have is like, Emily, I don't know what I want. I'm like, I don't know what to manifest. And I can so sympathize with this. And I want to say that oftentimes I don't know what I want either. You know, like we all face indecision sometimes. And I think that it just means that you don't know what you want yet, possibly. But here's, here's the other phenomenon that I see. 
So I was on Broadway, as you mentioned, for 10 years, and I became world class, best in show at learning how to make people want me, right? Like I could move my body, use my voice, um, perform scenes in a way that made the audience either want me or want to be me. And that's its own specific skill. And I find that a lot of women are professional at knowing how to make people want them. They know how to dye their hair, how to do their makeup, how to look in bed, how to make the lighting, what lingerie to wear, how to do their nails, what to do with their eyelashes, what kind of bra to wear, all for the purpose of making someone else want them. However, how many women do not know what they want? Right. And, oh, and I, this, this line, I, I read it in Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. Oh, the best. It's literally over there. Like I've read it 10 times. I, I, I love buy it. it. For everyone as a gift. Whether it's someone's birthday or whatever, like a bite for all women. So good. <laughs> but she said, I knew how to make other people want me. I did not know want. And I just, that line just struck me. And I was like, oh my God, that is me. That was me. And so that's also one of the reasons why I've become so passionate about this sacred sexuality work, because I have this hypothesis that if you know what you want sexually, it's going to be a lot easier for you to know what you want in your life. And conversely, if you're brave enough to ask for what you want in your life, then it's going to be easier for you to know and ask for what you want in the bedroom. But a lot of people, if you don't know what you personally want, how on earth are you going to communicate that to a lover? Right. And then you can get into a downward spiral. of, Well, they don't know how to please me, but really you don't know how to please yourself. And so when you, when you take another person out of the equation and when you take gender or gender preferences or sexual identity out of the equation and you simply allow your sexuality to be about you and God. And I'll define the word God because I know God can be very triggering as well. I define God as the collective consciousness of all that is, right? You can call it your soul, nature, the universe, your higher self, whatever you want to call it. But if you make sexuality about you and your soul and you take and you give it the time and reverence that it deserves, when you see it actually as a purifying force that can bring you closer to God, then we can reprioritize it rather than it being something that's shameful or dirty or wrong or selfish or um, lustful or a deadly sin or um, slutty or whatever else conditioning that we've all been swimming in. It's really hard to prioritize that, right? It's hard to make time for something that you secretly think is bad. And so if we, if we let go of some of that conditioning and prioritize it as this sacred act that also can help you get what you want. Right. And if I'm being fully honest, I did not prioritize these practices until I understood their power to help me manifest. I'm embarrassed to admit that, but it's the truth. Because like when once we I know like, that we can get something, we're like, right, let me do that because it's going to help me get the end goal. Totally. And it's embarrassing, but it's the truth. And the same, I mean, my book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, it's what I've been doing for 10 years. I've been taking the very powerful medicine that is meditation and wrapping it in the candy coating of like, hey, this is going to help you make more money and have better sex. And now it's interesting that it's almost like I'm taking this medicine that is sacred sexuality, but wrapping it in the medicine of like, hey, it's going to help you fuel your dreams. Um, but good news along the way, you're going to decondition generations of slut shaming and generations of shame that's been very consciously designed to divorce you from your own divinity, right? Because people who know how to plug into God, people who are truly sovereign, people who are sexually liberated are very hard to control, right? And so, you know, the, the sort of more recent dogmatic patriarchal, um, you know, monotheistic religions 
have been in cahoots with governments for for a while and sort of we've been taught to think that um, sex is somehow taking us from God. When recently I found that nothing could be further than the truth. And when you ask people, hey, how do you feel after you orgasm? Most of them say connected, blissful, supported, Mm. home, clean, pure, joyous, delighted, full of possibility. Like that's how we feel in that state. And so who who are we going to let taint that for us or divorce us from that gift? And so to me, it's just about a reclamation. So we were going to go into meditation first, but we're here. So let's do this. (laughs) Great. Here we are. So we're talking about, you know, you've mentioned that about women kind of not knowing what they want, but the, the challenge that I see with a lot of women who I work with is that it's not just that they don't know what they want. It's that they believe they don't like sex. And I would say maybe some as big as as high as 70% of the women who come my way don't see themselves as sexual being. In my course, we have a divine feminine module. We have a section in there for sacred sexuality. We go deep into sacred sexuality, into everything from conscious menstruality and everything to do with your divine feminine being. And, you know, I have women saying, but I don't feel like a sexual being. Like, how, how can I... And and living within these within these kind of stagnant relationships, stagnant marriages, and that you know what I call the no man's land of fine, you know, in that kind of stagnation where they just have succumbed to the fact that sex doesn't need to be a part of their lives. So there's not knowing what you want, but then there's going back even further into, but I don't even think I like sex. How can we reach those women and show them? what this can do for them. And then I would really love you to actually go into what sacred sexuality or sacred al- uh, sexual alchemy, you were calling it, yeah. is and, and how yeah. you came to it. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I just want everyone to know, like if that's where you are right now, like you can't even remember truly what your full pleasure feels like or that your relationship with sex has become tainted, that it feels even painful or not enjoyable or numb or... Uh, triggering or scary. I just, please know that you're not alone and there's nothing wrong with you. Um, that actually you've just, that there's many factors here and everyone has their own unique layers of the tree. But what, what is common for all of us is that there has been a truly like, and not without being like conspiracy theorist, it's just, there's been a very effective campaign to, um, condition us to think that sex is wrong, dirty, bad, evil, um, that your desires are not sacred, um, so that we compartmentalize it. You know, nudity is so freaked out about master. The word masturbation is a religious term and it means to defile. Well, well, didn't uh, Charles Darwin, uh, even say that masturbation was the, one of the worst evils of our time. And he also said that women, uh, a well-bred woman should not have any sexual desire. And this was Darwin, who we took all our scientific do- and evolutionary dogma from. So, you know, this is, so you're saying this isn't conspiracy theory, but what is conspiracy theory? Like, let's look at where, where we learn about evolution and who we listen to. Okay, so one of the challenges I hear from you guys the most is how hard it is to drop into meditation 
or even to relax and just feel calm. And you know I speak a lot here about how our bodies have not evolved to manage the level of stress we're faced with today, which means we're constantly in fight or flight mode with our sympathetic nervous systems always activated, which we know leads to depression and anxiety and also chronic health problems. If we want to be well, we have to find ways to mitigate this. We have to do that ourselves. And I believe in merging natural daily practices with the kind of health tech that enables us to counter and mitigate the challenges that modern life throws at us. And the Sensate is one of those products and I wanna tell you about it. So the Sensate is a small palm-sized device that sends infrasonic waves through the chest in order to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system, which is the body's command center. Together with the specially composed hemispheric audio within the app, you will literally feel calmer after only a short session. I give this to anyone I'm with if I have it on me, which I usually do, and everyone has the same response. It's amazing and I already feel less stressed and where can I get one? Now I'm particularly recommending the Sensate to anyone who suffers from anxiety and wants to help calm the nervous system, those who want to deepen their meditation practice and people who are looking for ways to be calmer and more grounded. Now most of you know I work with a shaman and he has taught me that our higher intelligence places ideas of health technology in the minds of those who can create and invent these products and i truly believe this to be the case with things like the aura ring the summer vedic even diagnostic devices in hospital and for me i believe that to be true with the sensate we have lived for too long in a high stress state we need more to help us counter that so you can get 20 pounds off the sensate by visiting getsensate.com that's g-e T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E.com and using the code Lauren20. That's getsensate.com and the code Lauren20. Thank you to Sensate for partnering with Reconditioned. And now back to the episode. That's one scientist, one very, very influential scientist. But then think about every religious leader. Right. You know, like I grew up Southern Baptist, right? With sweaty men in khaki suits yelling at me, telling me what I should and shouldn't do with my body. And, you know, I remember them talking about dating and being like this preacher saying, well, when my daughter goes on dates, that man's going to have to crawl over Matthew, Luke, Mark, and John, like all of the like, you know, chapters of the New Testament to get to my daughter. And just even that inherent like slut shaming that happens. Like if I have a boy, like fine, but if I have a girl, I'm going to protect her and she's never allowed to go on a date. And it's like, wait a minute. (laughs) Like, why did we decide that sex is okay for one gender and not okay for the other gender, especially when we're in a like heteronormative society that's like supposedly like heralding heterosexuality that takes two different genders in order to make that. So it's just so absurd. And so we've got the conditioning, right? That we're all sort of swimming in, just like we are all swimming in misogyny and patriarchy and racism Oftentimes you can't see it until you start to shine a light on it or actively start to dissect it. Um, But then on top of that, there's a lot of sexual trauma and sexual abuse. You know, they say it's at least one in four people. It used to be one in four women, but now we're starting to learn that it's all genders, one in four people who have had some sort of sexual trauma. Um, And that obviously is going to shade your relationship with sex. And that requires real healing and requires real time and attention, just like any other excavation would. Um, but so worth it because in healing that you're going to find that everything else about you integrates as well. Um, I'll say that once I turned 40, uh, you know, it was, it was like the beginning of the pandemic. I was 40. I was in, uh, I was about like year 10 of that relationship. 
And I certainly started to believe that like, oh, this is just how it is now. Like, I'm just, this is just this chapter of life. This is just married forties life. And then I, um, but the reality is like there was other, I was just not in a great fit for me. And so I asked for a divorce and three weeks later, I met Layla Martin, who is truly one of the world's most profound, extraordinary Tantra teachers. And she's now my best friend. Oh, aren't you lucky? I'm the luckiest. (laughs) And, um, and I met this amazing man named Adam, who's now my partner. And he and I were in a long distance relationship. I was in New York. He was in Austin. And so a few things happened. One, Layla very kindly and generously, like has initiated me into a lot of these practices. She taught me, she taught me what she calls sex magic, which is the art of, um, you know, cultivating your own sexual energy and using it to fuel your desires and dreams. She initiated me into energy orgasm and, um, even like ecstatic play. And then, uh, she very kindly invited me to her week long, uh, teacher training retreat and so much breath work, so many initiations and, Really, she's a she's an exquisite teacher. So anyone who's thinking about they maybe they want to be a sex, love, and relationship coach, or if they want to go deep down this rabbit hole, I would highly recommend checking out LaylaMartin.com. Um, I also she reintroduced me to Regina Thomasauer, also known as Mama Gina, and she's now my roommate. Now Regina is sixty five years old. She wrote a New York Times bestselling book called Pussy: A Reclamation. She's been teaching goddess. Also on my shelf. Oh, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> um, and she's been teaching you know, uh, courtesan practices, ancient goddess traditions for 30 years. And so to live with this woman, to see the amount of radiance and joy and pleasure and strength and clearing that she brings to every single day um, and how she really like excavates her pain and trauma so that she can get to pleasure as almost as a religion, right? That is a daily practice. And, um, So my life has changed very much. And in my long distance relationship, the thing that happened is that we both had to grow our energy bodies big enough to be able to connect. And now I had never even had phone sex, right? I was 42 years old, never had phone sex. That felt very embarrassing, very shy to me. And now I would call us like Olympic, like cosmic Olympians (laughs) at video sex. And also having grown our energy bodies so that it didn't even feel like long distance. It felt like we were actually interacting with each other. And then once you understand that sex can be energetic, then it it opens up a whole new world. So perhaps if you have a latex allergy and condoms are irritating, or perhaps if you have some sort of a birth trauma and intercourse is painful, or perhaps you're trans and you don't really identify with your body, or, you know, perhaps you just have a headache or something, you know, you just don't feel like being physical when you open up the energetic side of these things. You could have you could have a heart gasm. You could have a brain gasm. You, as a, a person without a penis, could penetrate someone who does have a penis. Like the game just gets so much more interesting when you're not limited exclusively to the anatomy, and and it really changes your sense of self. You start to see the duality and polarity inside of yourself um, because you start to identify with both the male and the female parts of you, the masculine and feminine parts of you. And I think that if everyone were to do that, then the, the misogyny, the transphobia, the homophobia that's so rampant in our society would change because we would start to see the everythingness inside of ourselves versus othering everybody or trying to find more containers. We'd just be like, oh, today I'm feeling this and tomorrow I might be feeling that. And so, hey, you're feeling that today. 
tomorrow you might be feeling more like me. Like you find this sense of unity when you see the infinite possibility that is inside of you. I don't even know where to start there. There's so I know, much, I just fire so hose a lot so of things. So much to open up. I mean, where where does one learn how to do all of this for a start? <laughs> okay. Well, well, I'm about to do my first retreat. I'm about to do Yay. like a deep dive into these practices. And that's, I don't know when this is, podcast is coming out, but it's happening November 10th through the 13th, which is really exciting. It's going to be in Costa Rica. And this is going to be a time to really allow me to see like, what's this new transmission that wants to be birthed and how does nature want to use me with this, you know, 13 years of meditation, 10 years of teaching and neuroscience and manifesting and dance and singing and vocalizing and like taking all of these powerful ingredients that I've been collecting over the past 43 years and seeing how they can be of best service to people who don't know what they want, to people who might be divorced from their own pleasure, for people who want to make a difference, who want to find their passion, but they're not really sure how, for people who maybe don't identify as a tantrika or a sex witch, who don't want to go to a full tantra training, and yet they want to inhabit their full pleasure. Um, that's what we're birthing here at Ziva. And so that's one way. <clears throat> the other way is I highly recommend um, LaylaMartin.com, Pussy, a reclamation by Regina or MamaGinas.com. And then know that we are birthing a lot of this at Ziva. And after the retreat, we're going to start working on our own online course, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully soon we'll be selling tickets to these stadium events because I want, I'm not kidding when I say I want 80,000 people climaxing at the same time, holding a vision for the species just as an experiment, you know, people like that's I'm there crazy. for that experiment. I'm going to be there. <laughs> it's like, that's crazy. And I'm like, no, what's crazy is humans going extinct because we robbed the planet of its natural resources. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And to just allow that bus to continue to drive off the cliff, that feels insane to me, but utilizing the most powerful manifesting tool that we have collectively and spending at least as much time in a day, holding the vision for what we want to create as we do speculating about worst case scenario that is how I like to turn this ship around. And you mentioned the word tantrika or, you know, sex magic, sex witch. And we spoke before we started recording about how there's kind of a messiness around that, around finding the right term that doesn't scare people um, if they aren't, if they are new to this kind of stuff. And I think that's really important because there are people who will maybe come to this with if the word sex magic or something without the word witch, you know, is taken out of it. So I like that you're kind of rewording that, reframing it all. Um, yeah. And finding your own way within yeah. that. It's really quite simple. You know, I've actually, I'm on, I just came back from sabbatical and my job on sabbatical was to kind of like rebrand this stuff, find new terms that actually speak to the scientific reality of what's happening in the body. Like when you're in peak pleasurable states or orgasmic states, your electromagnetic field gets very big. Like it, it actually can 10 X in size versus when we're in fear, shame, guilt, anxiety, uh, that electromagnetic field, it it shrinks. And so if you think about it as your magnet is turning on and getting bigger, of course, your ability to magnetize the things that you want in your life is going to get stronger. Also, 
So when you're in those orgasmic states, all of the chemical cocktail that you need in order to manifest dopamine, serotonin, um, which are like the baselines for manifesting, but now you add oxytocin, which is the love hormone. And then you add even adrenaline to amplify things and norepinephrine. Then you're like, Oh, you start to play with some pretty powerful endogenous pharmacology and OPS. You've also sort of transcended the prefrontal cortex and started to access the entire cognitive ability of the brain, which, you know, I would say is like plugging into source, but really what's happening is that you're bringing that energy out of the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. And then that energy sort of spreads around the whole brain. So the brain and an orgasmic state looks similar to a brain on mushrooms or LSD, uh, where it's like the whole thing is lighting up. And so these are the ingredients that we all know that we need to manifest. And the thing is, you're already doing it likely you're already having some form of sex. It might be with porn or vibrators, or, you know, it might be in ways that don't necessarily feel sacred to you, but that's an easy change, right? It's just giving yourself time and space, you know, maybe take a break from porn, maybe take a pause from the vibrator, maybe give yourself the time to be curious about what it is that your body loves and what it is that your body actually wants. But if you're trying to make your body feel or do something that some porn star is doing, that's not your actual nature, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel off. And I think that it's actually like the perversion of sexuality that we feel is dirty or wrong. But if you can reclaim it and see it and use it and experience it as holy, then it's going to change everything. It, it really, it changes you cellularly. So it's actually, so, so, um, sexual alchemy is a tool, maybe the tool for manifestation. Mm. I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to manifest. This is just the most powerful way that I've found. And so when I say sexual alchemy, there's a few different ingredients there inside of that container. Um, one is movement, like ecstatic, sacred movement. So you can actually get embodied. You know, we spend so much time in our brains thinking screens, zooms, past, future. And so movement is immediately like present in the body. Um, we do breath work. So you're actually learning how to draw that that energy from your hoo-ha, from your root. And hoo-ha is like head, heart, and hoo-ha are the words that I'm using to talk about these energy centers. And your hoo-ha is, yes, your anatomy, but it's also the energy around it. Like when we say like, what does your heart say? Or how is your heart feeling? We don't just mean the muscle, the organ that's pumping blood. We actually are referring to the whole energy center and the organ. And so same with hoo-ha. It's like, yes, we're talking about anatomy, all genders, and we're talking about the energy center around it. And I know that for me, you know, three or four years ago, I had never thought about like, is my energy center on in my hoo-ha? I would have never even <laughs> thought to have asked that question. Right. And yet once you start to move through life, like you can use your sexual energy for things that aren't sexual, right? Like you can walk into a cocktail party with your sexual energy on in a way that's not predatory, that's not slutty, that is actually just magnetizing and electric right? It's captivating. I went to see Hugh Jackman in The Music Man. And I was like, talk about a man who knows how to use sexual energy. It's not even sexual, right? He's not smarmy or sleazy or gross. You don't feel predatory vibes from him, but almost everyone falls in love with him. And you can feel and see that his sexual energy is turned all the way on and he's flowing it through all the other energy centers in his body. And, you know, great politicians, great pop stars, great celebrities, movie stars, 
vampires. Like they all know, even if, whether they're doing it consciously or not, if you really start to tune into it, you can see, and you can see the people that are separated, right? Like head and body. And that was me a few years ago. Like I was so intellectual. I was so driven. And it's again, embarrassing to admit that here as a meditation teacher, I wrote a book called stress less accomplish more. And now that I really understand leaning back and magnetizing, I can see how much I was muscling, how much effort I was using. And, and it's not good or bad. It's just that one is easier and more fun. But it's really nice that you can admit that as well, because I think, you know, we all make mistakes. We're growing all the time. And it's it's difficult, especially when you're doing stuff in the public eye for, you know, people will go, well, you wrote that three years ago. And now what you're saying contradicts that. Um, but we're constantly learning. And isn't that great to be people that are constantly yeah. learning? Like, shouldn't that just be commended? And, yeah. You know, I think so. I think as societally, we could all just admit our mistakes a little bit more. So like, Hey, I learned something new. Right. And now I'm teaching you that. And what I taught you then was the best I had then. And now I've upgraded that and I've upleveled that. And this is what I've got now. And you need to hear this now. Yeah. And I don't think that it's, um, in contradiction, like what I was teaching then, I still fully believe. I just now realize how much headroom I had to practice it more. Right. Mm -hmm. I still believe that if you stress less, you do accomplish more. I do believe, and just now I'm living it more fully. Yeah, yeah, perhaps contradict was the wrong word. I was just thinking, and I can't remember who it was, but someone, um, one of the health, I hate the word guru, but you know, on Instagram came out and said, you know, I'd said something years ago. I think it was Joe Rogan, not health guru then, but he'd said, you know, I'd said something years ago and it's got picked up now that it's something I don't agree with. But, you know, that's just kind of, we learn and we grow. And so, but yeah. yeah. So meditation, um, (laughs) that was your first passion, obviously, and that's what led to all of this. A lot of people listening might have that view of, you know, I've tried meditation, I find it really hard, I can't get into it, I don't go deep enough, all these kind of objections we hear. What are we doing wrong with meditation? Mm, I would say the biggest challenges that I hear from people still is Emily, I want to meditate, but I can't clear my mind. Mm. I want to meditate. My brain is too crazy. I want to meditate. I can't sit still. I want to meditate. I have ADHD. I want to meditate. I'm so busy. Right. And so the busyness is different than busy mind. And, but we've been told again, like a really effective campaign here that in order to meditate, we have to clear our mind. You can ask four-year-olds. I have a kid's meditation training and I I ask four-year-olds, five-year-olds, what do you do? And they're like, you sit down, you make fancy fingers, you say, um, and you clear your mind. Like, where did you learn this? You're four. (laughs) And like, and so what's happening is people think that in order to meditate, you have to meditate like a monk. And so even like the most popular apps out there, you know, the headspace and the most popular brand in the world is think, you know, think like a monk and Jay Shetty, who used to be a monk. And they're like, they're great. They've done an amazing service to the world in that. I think people aren't so scared of meditation anymore and they've made it really accessible and made it really almost like ubiquitous. And I'd say that if there's a downside, it's that people think that meditation is hard now because they think that the point is to clear your mind. And the cool thing about Ziva is that at Ziva, you don't have to clear your mind. I give you a lot of permission slips to know that thoughts are not the enemy of meditation. Effort is. 
And that for anyone who feels like a meditation failure because they can't clear their mind, I just am like, you're not a failure. You just haven't been taught yet. You're not a failure. You're just trying to use a technique that was designed for a monk and not for you. But it's less than 1% of the world's population that is monastic by nature. The other 99% of us who have jobs and kids and partners and who are not reclusive by nature, we need tools and techniques that actually allow us to reach very deep states of rest. And then if you have that, if you have a tool and technique that induces the rest, then the thoughts that happen during meditation are an indicator that stress is leaving the body. And once you understand that viscerally and intellectually, then you're like, oh, thank you and goodbye. Oh, thank you and goodbye. And you see that the thoughts are actually part of the healing process. You stop judging yourself as a failure and then meditation gets a lot more fun. And then you're able to actually do it so that you see the return on investment. And the thing I am most probably will be on my tombstone. I don't know, maybe I'll get a new tombstone now that I'm working in sacred sexuality. But um, (laughs) the thing I've been most famous for so far is saying that we meditate to get good at life not to get good at meditation. Mm. And so it's not about how good am I at clearing my mind when I sit in a chair. Meditation is about how patient was I with my son this morning? How kind was I with my partner when they did the thing I didn't want them to do? How creative was I with my team of coworkers today? How is my sex drive? How is my connection to my desire? How's my parking karma? How's my IBS? How's my inflammation? How's my autoimmune? Like these are the markers by which we want to judge whether or not the meditation is working. Nobody gives a flying flip how many thoughts you're having when you sit quietly in a chair. Everybody cares how good you are at life. And that to me is the point. So is that what you would say the purpose of meditation is? For me, yes, getting good at life. And the cool thing about that is that your definition of good at life is different than my definition of good at life. There's nothing dogmatic or doctrine about it. It's just the most amazing version of you. And so what, so in, in kind of when you're doing your meditation, what does that look like if there are thoughts coming to you? And cause I'm just trying to think the way that someone listening to this, who's really tried to do meditation and thinking now, well, maybe Ziva's the thing for me. Maybe I'm going to learn from Ziva, like how to, but you know, I've tried these things before and what are they, what's a meditation going to look like for them? Once yeah. they get to that point. Yeah. So once you graduate and the thing about Ziva is that it is a training, it's not an app. It's not me holding your hand. It's not me mm-hmm. meditating for you. I know a lot of people think, well, I need guidance. It's like, well, yes, you need guidance because you don't have training, mm-hmm. right? Like I hold my son's hand when we cross the street because he doesn't know how the walk signs and the traffic signals yet. He's four. Um, but you know, once he knows how to do that, I'm going to let him walk on his own. I don't have to hold his hand anymore. And the cool thing about meditation is that once you have training, you don't need an app to do it for you. You don't need, you know, binaural beats and music and gongs and bells and and all the headgear. You just, you just sit down and close your eyes and you could do that on your bed, on a couch, on a subway, on an airplane, at your office with your kids screaming next to you. Like once you know how to do it, you can do it anywhere. And then you simply close your eyes and it's 15 minutes twice a day and you do it first thing in the morning and then you do it in that mid-afternoon slump where you would have wanted the coffee or the nap or the chocolate. That's where you do your second. And then you have this beautiful hit of productivity and energy and creativity on the other side. Um, But the practice itself is the three M's. So we start with mindfulness. Then we move into a very restful form of meditation. And this style of meditation is likely different than what anyone else has tried or done before, where you're not clearing your mind, you're not focusing, you're not concentrating, thoughts are not the enemy. It feels like a nap. 
honestly. Like you get sort of like the head bob. You get, it doesn't look that good on Instagram, but it feels amazing. And then after the meditation is where we do manifesting, right? And then every day, twice a day, where you access source energy, where you have this dopamine and serotonin flowing through your body, then you ask the question, what would I love? Right? What would I love? And then from there, you get to imagine this dream as if it is your current reality. And, um, and then that's it. So twice a day. So, so that's the practice. And as far as like when you're having thoughts and what do you do with that? And what do you come back to? Like all of that is inside of Ziva online, which is the course that you took, which is just 15 minutes a day for 15 days. And then once you graduate, you have it to take with you for life. Yeah. Beautiful. I heard you say once that, um, using an app for meditation is a bit like having an AA meeting at a liquor store. (laughs) Explain that to me. Yeah. So I'm probably going to, I have gotten a lot of flack for that and I probably will continue to, but look, almost everyone I know has a cell phone addiction, right? It's something like people are on it somewhere between eight and 10 hours a day. Yeah. We're on these things between eight and 10 hours a day. We know that the light first thing in the morning is terrible for our brains. We know that the light last thing at night is terrible for our circadian rhythms and sleep. (laughs) And yet we all keep doing it, right? We are addicted to the dopamine. The algorithms have got us in its claws. So if your goal in meditating is unplugging, connecting to yourself, connecting to the divine, why on earth would you want to go into the bell? of the beast to do that, especially when you're looking at Zoom screens all day. And so the cool thing about Ziva is that, yes, we use technology to administer the training, but after that 15-day training, you don't need a phone or an app or a screen. It's just you and your soul, and you can do it anywhere with no Wi-Fi, your phone's not charged, no headphones, no earplugs, no problem. You just close your eyes 15 minutes and you come out having had the equivalent of an hour and a half nap, but with no sleep hangover, you come out on the other side, so much more clear, so much more rested, so much more creative, so much higher sex drive. Um, and you've just manifested your dreams as well. So, um, and look, I'm not anti-app. Like I think there is a time and a place for them. If you actually want guidance, if you're like, Oh, I'm having an immune issue and I want a guided visualization to help me heal, or I want a guided visualization to help me fall asleep, or I want a guided visualization to help me get ready for my sexy date. Beautiful. But so the differentiation here is that, and I'm probably one of one that uses terminology, but I would call all of that, all of the apps, anything that's dieting you, anything where you're left brain prefrontal cortex is online, I would call that mindfulness. And so a guided experience there would be a visualization. And that's what most of them are doing. They're having you count your breath and picturing your chakras, imagining a waterfall, picturing yourself in a situation, which is all left brain cognition. Great, beautiful, wonderful, very good at creating a state change. What I teach at Ziva is giving you a trait change. It is healing you on a cellular level because it's giving your body rest that's five times deeper than sleep and it's de-exciting your nervous system. And when you de-excite something, you create order. When you create order in your body, the lifetime of accumulated stresses can come up and out. So the big differential here is not that apps are bad, not that mindfulness is bad at all. It's just a state change. It's healing your stress in the now. Whereas Ziva is a trait change and it's healing your stress from the past. And what I found is that that is really where the magic happens, because when you get rid of the stress from the past, that's when you usher yourself into higher and higher states of consciousness, because you're carving out that darkness to make space for more light. 
Yeah, I get that totally because I heard you say that and it it didn't it didn't piss me off at all. No, because but did I, you I, do hear that after you had done Ziva? Uh, yes. Yeah, because I did Ziva right. a few years ago, but I I I've done lots of different types of meditation from years ago, you know, in chakra meditation and I've done transcendental meditation and meditation at the Hare Krishna uh, temple here and you know all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff. So Yeah. I've, I've done lots of different kinds of meditation, but like I have meditations in my course and on my YouTube channel that are specifically like for inner child healing, for shadow healing, for, you know, like you said, they have a purpose for guiding you. But I totally agree that when it comes to your daily practice, like when you need to do that inner child healing, go and do that yeah. when you need to something very specific. But it's a it's a hypnosis. Like you said, it's a visualization. It's taking yeah. you somewhere different when you need to when it's for your daily practice. I agree that that is best not, I'm not going to say should or, it, you know, is best to done having already been guided how to do it. So you know how to do it, have that training and do that on your own. So you can deeply connect and come out of, you know, that, um, that way, you know, that out of the thinking mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your body knows how to heal. Just like you don't need someone, like when you go to sleep at night, you just fall asleep. Right. Right. You just fall asleep and you didn't really do anything. No one guided you there. And yet your body runs a whole host of healing operations that are profound. Yeah. And the same thing happens in Ziva. You know, you sort of fall into the meditation and then your body runs a whole host of healing functionalities that make you so much better at life. Um, and if you were to be guided through that, it would just be keeping you still in the left brain realm of thinking, whereas Ziva is using tools that help you to drop into that restful state of being. And then you're self-sufficient, right? Which is, I think, valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of people listening to this now will have that clarity of mind to know, oh, I did think that because, you know, I am a really stressy person or I have ADHD or, you know, meditation has never worked for me before that now, okay, maybe I'm going to try that again. Now I get it a bit more. Yeah, I I hope so. I hope so. And I'm curious to know, like, even though you had done so many other styles of meditation, like what inspired you to do Ziva and what was your experience like after it? So my, it was originally for my husband because he wanted to do it because that's fair. That was his initiation into meditation. I'd been as you know going down this rabbit hole of kind of holistic healing for for a long time and had mm-hmm. done these different sorts and for him it, that this was his initiation yeah. and for him it was really the perfect initiation for me it gave me more of the background knowledge of what I was doing yeah. which I really like because modern people like that we like to understand stuff right so I've learned you know it was about well I started meditating when I was 18 so it was 20 years wow. ago wow wow um, and that was through chakra meditation. And then I did TM about, oh, I don't even know, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was great. But with TM, it's a lot of, and, and I'm not bashing TM, I think it's brilliant and I still love it. And mm-hmm. and I, I go in and out of doing, I've kind of like crafted my own way of doing meditation at this point. And some mm-hmm. of that is TM. Some of that is what I've learned through Krishna consciousness. Some of that is chakra meditation. Some, some of it is Ziva, you know, some of it is kind of just, I don't know, like, me going off doing my own thing and some other realm, I guess. Yeah. I mean, 20 years in, like, of course, like you've earned, not earned, but like you have ushered yourself into these higher states of consciousness and you've dug a lot of wells. And so like at this point that makes sense. 
And I just want to like so, someone who's just starting out, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be a great plan. You don't want to no. dig a lot of three foot wells, but for you 20 years in like, yes, like your body knows what it needs now. But it didn't, you know, 20 years in, but it still took it. You know, I did all those meditations and, and as you go on, you learn more and, 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 and so, but I just want to say to people, probably how my meditation is now probably still looks the same as how most people's meditation looks. Maybe sometimes I can get a bit deeper and sometimes I connect and I do feel myself connecting to source. And that is my intention. And, and if my intention is always gratitude and, and giving gratitude, um, which I believe reaps manifestation. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, what was my point here? No, the, the point oh, I was, was just asking you I, about Ziba yeah, and your experience so, there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like even in TM, you don't really learn about like what the brain's doing and what the really what the purpose is of it all is it's more of a spiritual practice Mm. you know Maharishi being like a spiritual guru and I learned so Mm. much and I took so much away from that but in Ziva it gave me the knowledge the understanding really the scientific overview of why we meditate why it's important to it why we need it why it's so important in the modern day and how you can make it work for the modern day person so that was what Ziva was for me so I want to thank you for that it's a beautiful it's a beautiful gift to the planet Mm. thank you Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. And I take that as such high praise, especially given like I, I can only imagine the level of dedication that you've had and the motivation that you've had. And, and so I'm just so inspired by your story and how how you've used this healing journey with yourself to be a model for what's possible. So if like, oh, I'm having a bit of a lower back thing. It's like, oh, like, well, if you can heal what you've healed, I can heal this lower back thing. And like, if we can't see it, if we can't be it, it's like, thank you for being that healing so that we all know what is possible. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm going to be at your experiment. So when it's happening, you're going to let me know. Don't worry, I'll be shouting it from the rooftops and I'm going to get all of us there. Like I'm going to be there with all my girlfriends as well. And (laughs) we're doing great. Great. My last question before we wrap up and just go to to quick fire round is I'm just, this is just like a a very uh, on the surface there. I'm just interested to know which Oscar and Emmy award winners you taught meditation to. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. Who can I share? Some are private, but who can I share? Um, well, I, well, fun was, was I, I taught Channing Tatum the week that Magic Mike came out and my, I, I was staying in their guest home and my ex-husband was like, uh, <laughs> the, the ad campaign was like, ladies, in three days, your boyfriend will seem inadequate. And he was like, cool. <laughs> um, oh my God, that's um, brilliant. <laughs> that was a fun one. Um, Barrett Foa, who was on NCIS LA, uh, Sigourney Weaver, Michelle oh. Williams, um, who else? Um, there's been NBA players with Larry Sanders. Um, yeah, it's been a fun, a fun and vibe. Do you think, do they all take it seriously? Like, do they, do they implement it into their lives properly? I'm not talking about the people you mentioned, but generally kind of, you know, high achieving people, uh, people in the public eye that are doing it. Is it kind of mm-hmm. like a, Hey, I meditate now, or are they actually doing it? I think it depends on the person, but I think with people, when they're using their bodies and their minds and their emotions as their instrument and as their vocation, I think they take it the most seriously, you know, because for an athlete, it's like, it's your recovery time for an actress. It's your ability to feel the full range of your emotions because without it, like we all have our own trauma. We all have our own guardrails. We all have the calluses that we built around our heart to protect it. And meditation helps to soften those calluses 
and, and feel the full spectrum of emotions. You know, a lot of people think, well, meditating now, so I'm just going to think about unicorns and fairies and sunshine. Um, but actually, no, it's like, it rings you out. Yeah. It rings you out. And so that all that trauma and shame and conditioning and stress that's been stored in our cells starts to come up and out. Um, but it doesn't erase the memory of it. So for an actress, it's like the, the calluses have softened and yet now I have greater access to play all 88 keys on the piano. I used to teach acting and I would go, and that was like my first, like when I was first starting to become a meditation teacher, I was also teaching acting. And so I was talking about meditation all the time. So a lot of my acting students would come and be initiated and take Ziva and people would go from being unwatchable, like just really bad beginner intro acting, like, look how good I can act and look how good I can feel, like unwatchable. And two weeks later, they're getting standing ovations in the middle of their scenes. And it, was, and it wasn't just one, that happened again and again and again and again. And so that's why I got so excited about teaching artists and high performers, because I could see the actual like exponential difference that happened in their performance within weeks. And, and, you know, since that was my background, it was really fun to experience. Um, I think that, yeah, when your emotions in your body are your vocation, I think you take it the most seriously. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all about you rapid fire. So I always start with the first one and the next four are random that have been chosen for you specifically. So the first one is wellness is. And the thing that just hit me right now is joy. Mm. Like the joy will make you well, but also wellness equals joy, right? Like okay. the more well you are, the more joy, you, joyous you can be. So true, which is why health is our wealth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one top tip for making meditation work for you. Mm. Get training. Yeah. It's a yeah. skill. It's a skill like any other skill. You wouldn't expect yourself to start speaking Japanese without taking a class. Why on earth would you expect yourself to meditate without taking a class? So true. Such a good point. Um, what was the best and the worst part about working on Broadway? Ooh, the best I know part. you a bit here. <laughs> <laughs> the best part about working on Broadway. I love creative people working towards a common goal. Like it became my religion. You know, it was, um, or really it became my church, right? Because you're singing together, you're dancing together. You have a community of like-minded people. You're creating this service of healing people through art and everyone connecting through, through to their own divinity through singing and dancing and then doing it in unison, you know, to sing in harmony, to dance in unison. Like there's, it's really, quite sacred. Um, and so that was my favorite part. It was always the, like the actual, like singing and dancing in a group and the community of it. Mm, And the worst part was, uh, the worst part. The worst part for me was when I was in a chorus line and I was was pre-meditation and I was understudying and it was truly like I just felt like I was failing all the time. I felt like I was in this cage and I was trapped and like, I couldn't quite sing it and I couldn't quite dance it. And I never knew when I was going to be thrown on. And then like the stress was making my voice worse and the stress was keeping me from sleeping and then not sleeping was disallowing me from performing. And I felt like I was just in this trap that I couldn't get out of. 
that really felt like hell, like its own flavor of hell. I remember having dreams that I was being possessed by the devil and I was like trapped in like grocery store between the like, you know, sliding doors mm -hmm. and in the vestibule. And, and then I learned meditation and like the first night I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. And it just changed my life so much that, you know, it changed everything. Cause like Broadway went to India. What's that? Cause the adrenaline of being on set and, and, you know, or being, you know, on a theater in the theater is just, you know, you end late at night and there's so much adrenaline and somehow you've got yeah. to bring it all down. And yeah, it's just, yeah believe it or not and I don't even know if I've ever mentioned it on this podcast in all 91 episodes I used to be an actress <laughs> wow. I got really sick yeah and it was I was in um a production it was only in my college of a chorus line and that was when I had this big flare-up that led me to in into the depths of hell um and I couldn't do the part that I was meant to do and so I was you know one of the background um what well, part were you supposed to do well, we were auditioning for a fair, you know, I don't even remember the name. Um, Judy, I, Sheila, Val. I feel like it's Sheila. I that don't was know. my part. Not, it, it wasn't Val. Who's tits and ass? It wasn't tits and Val's ass. Val's tits and ass. Right, Sheila's at the that. ballet. <laughs> she was at the ballet. And and uh, I don't remember. Judy, I remember. Maggie. I was like 17. And I remember auditioning for this part and then having to go and have my knees drained and doing myself doing so much damage because I should have been resting from trying to audition for this part that I ended up not getting really any part and I have this thing about a chorus line now because <laughs> that was like so the beginning of the end of my acting career wait so. that's nuts because I'm the same like of course the understudying on chorus line is the thing that drove me to meditation because oh, wow. it was such and, a fucking nightmare <laughs> yeah and then look where we both are so wow you know, thanks a chorus line for creating a living hell that we had to work our way out of <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So last one, something you hope to pass on to your son, um, that you had to learn for yourself. It wasn't necessarily passed on to you. Um, to trust himself mm. and he can trust himself. He can trust his feelings and that he can trust even his fear, you know, that like his voice matters and his thoughts and feelings matter and that he can like, trust himself amazing do you know what this has probably been one of my most favorite episodes so thank you so much i really Great. enjoyed every yeah. second me too um, i will be putting everything in the show notes but you have um very kindly offered listeners a recondition your brand new masterclass. so that's at zivameditation.com forward slash podcast mm -hmm. uh, which is where you'll be teaching three secrets to reduce stress overcome anxiety and improve sleep in 15 days or less so yeah. please make sure you head to that and i will put that link in the show notes where else can people find you um so we're all over social media at ziva meditation z-i-v-a meditation and uh, my personal instagram is emily stella fletcher but it's mostly just pictures of me and my son um maybe one day i'll start doing more content but now it's just a it's real cute though it's real cute <laughs> <laughs> amazing emily thank you so much i'm so excited mm. for this to end for everyone to hear it and um keep in touch and keep keeping yes. updated with everything that's going on yes what a treat to get to know you and thank you again for shining shining such a bright example oh thank you so much 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconditioned. I am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in. Thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being. You should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being, you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness. Now, don't forget, I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenvacneen.co.uk, as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released.